You're listening to Season 2 of NFT 365. Talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and... What the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365. Here's your host and digital futurist, Brian Fanzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And well, to start this episode, I'm actually going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask you to turn the volume up a little bit on this episode. I'm going to ask you to inch just a little bit closer to your speakers. I'm going to ask you to kind of open your mind to the idea and the the, the, I, the real connection that this episode is going to have. Because for me, when I think about Web3, when I think about NFTs, when I think about this podcast, when I think about the future of work, when I think about the blockchain, when I think about the technology, you know, I talk a lot about you know, that I believe that this is all moving towards a world where there are less people committing suicide, right? Less people that are, are feeling alone, less people that are ultimately more connected yet more isolated and more lonely. But for that to actually happen, we have to shift our, not only how we think about technology, our interaction with technology, but we also have to understand that just because in the past we've used cer certain technology or certain things in certain ways, doesn't mean that's what's best for us moving forward. And it's almost a joke, right? There are many places in our lives today that the technology we are using does not save us time, does not save us money, does not make our lives easier, yet we are using technology in that use case. And a lot of that is because we are often the capitalist society where things are built and implemented. And even in many cases, if it's not what is best for the greater masses, we might be linked into a contract, right? We might have bought a certain amount of years for a technology or, you know, I know for a lot of, you know, uh, small businesses, uh, if you think about your, the small businesses that buy security cameras, right? If you bought into a, a seven-year contract for a security system uh, three years ago for your small business, your brick and mortar business, um, I can pretty much guarantee the tech you're using does not make your life easier. And there is tech out there today that could be synced up with your phone, integrated, custom notifications, and could be probably one-eighth, one-tenth the price. I will tell you, I have three windows here at my house, in my house, with a camera that is pointing outside, and I have an area where it'll push notification for me every time the, the UPS driver walks up on my front, uh, you know, or the Amazon package deliverer drives, walks up on my, on my porch. Yet, if someone drives by in the front of the neighborhood, it doesn't trigger me. And, and I will tell you, you know how much I paid for those cameras? $45, like $45 for that camera, and it connects to my Wi-Fi, it connects to a free app on my phone. And I, I use that as an example because we oftentimes are losing sight at really that like true value or connection that mo that usual technology has. And a lot of this comes into you know the the idea of social media and digital. And there's one thing that we have to like we have to all own and agree on right now. 
is that for the last many years, let's say for the last 15 years, we've been using social, digital, websites, our phones to distance ourselves from others, right? We, the idea of what so much of what we're using, right? Rather than you having to call your friends for updates, you can check their Instagram feed, right? Rather than you having to call a company to figure out if they're open right now, you go to their website, right? And all of these things in many ways distance ourselves from our consumers, distance ourselves from our audience, distance ourselves from our friends and our family. And the interesting part on that is we've been going all through that because we've been focusing on scale. The, the hardest thing to do is to scale community or scale intimacy, right? If we think about that from a standpoint of like how many, we, you know, there are people that will talk about you can only have three or three best friends, right? Or you can only um, you know, be focused on one thing you know, instead of the other. And uh, I know Drew posted a quote recently about you know, if you're everywhere, then you're essentially nowhere. And you know, as someone with ADHD, I don't think that, that quote actually embodies what it, it probably should be uh, embodying, right? It's the idea of it's not about not being everywhere, but it's rather understanding your focus for where you are when you're there. And so where I want to take this conversation is that, you know, the intimacy that we can, we can garner with technology and through digital, in my personal opinion, has barely been tapped. We have barely tapped in to true intimacy on online. Now, there are many reasons for this, right? The, the idea of algorithms, right? If you, uh, I tweeted today, the, the Twitter algorithm currently at the moment is broke. It's absolutely broke, and that sucks, because if you went back six months ago, I bragged about Twitter's algorithm being the best algorithm out there. Even I looked at it even better than TikTok, because yes, TikTok will serve you up, uh, will serve you up great content based on your current um, you know, uh, consumption habits, but it didn't give you a lot of historical value. Right? If all of a sudden I watched Jeep videos, all I'm going to see is Jeep videos, even though I still care about ADHD videos. Right? Twitter, the algorithm up until a couple months ago, was really, really great at still being able to value my historical um, interactions while also understanding what is the kind of most hot button for me in that moment. And so the truth is that we have to think, we have a little history lesson here, right? Because the reason algorithms exist is because there had gotten to a point where social media was providing so much free act, direct access to people that brands were taking advantage of it and advertisers are like, wait a second, people are paying millions of dollars for a Super Bowl ad, but if I just get a bunch of people post to their Facebook page or their Facebook wall and 100% of the people see that, there's a disconnect there, right? There's also a disconnect between, you know, when you start following so many people, right? When, when Facebook started, I think I remember that there was like this quote that like nobody should ever have more than a thousand friends on Facebook, right? And we all know, like we all hit the like connect with our email address and it connected us with a bunch of people from high school that we could give two shits about their baby pictures and uh, their updates on their family vacation. And, you know, we, but they, that, that's kind of how we connected our Facebook. But the, the bigger question that we have to ask ourselves, and this is where I want us to think, is that we can't really undo a lot of what the last 15 years have done as far as our lack of true connection and intimacy between people online. But what we can do is we can identify what are the key components 
for creating that relationship, that connection. And I know maybe if you listened to this, you saw the title of this episode, you probably were guessing that I was going to harp on community a bunch, but I'm not because yes, community is a big piece of this greater puzzle, but I, I think community is often thrown out there. And I know some of you, right? As soon as you probably saw the title of this episode, you're like more on the value of community. Like I get it, the, the importance of community, but do you get what keeps people involved in a community? Do you get why community even matters to most of us? Do we think about this in our interactions with friends, family, even the brands that we interact with? And let's face it, when it comes to brand loyalty, brand interaction, I, I will challenge you, right? Right now, think about it right now for, all, for everyone that's listening. Is there a brand, is there a business or a brand, something that you buy products or services from, that when like, you, are, you feel like you have a connection with them, right? You understand their product roadmap. You understand what their core values are. You understand, you, you're very aware. Like, I mean, there's a couple for me, there's a couple email newsletters that, um, that are very marketing email newsletters, but I still read them on a, on a regular basis. Chipotle <laughs> happens to be one of them that I, every email, even if it says free guac, and I don't like guacamole, I know, I know, I'm a Chipotle-aholic, but I don't like guacamole. Um, even if I didn't have to pay extra for it, I still wouldn't like it. Um, but the, I open those emails because for me, they use, they use their rewards very well. They use their email marketing very well. They're creative with their social media. They have like an education plan on why they don't have freezers at, at, you know, no Chipotle has a freezer because they don't freeze their meat. Everything is cooked to order, so on and so forth, right? This isn't a Chipotle commercial. <laughs> but when we think about that, right, when I'm asking you to think about the connection and the intimacy that you have with a brand, it's really hard to find one. Now let's take that a step further. What, think about a person, and this can, let, let, let's think outside of like our inner circle, right? Are there people, are there influencers, are there celebrities that you feel like, wow, I have an intimate connection to who they are? Even if you don't like love them and you're not a super fan of them, you have like an intimate connection with them. One that, one that jumps out at me that does this really well, we can say Taylor Swift, but we could actually say the flip side uh, of Taylor Swift, which I, I, we have to give like a millennial OG shout out to Britney Spears, right? right? And one could argue Britney Spears has, has slipped over that, you know, that other side of like, you know, where her posts are right now, you know, she feels a little unhinged, right? And one could argue is that because she finally has freedom for what she was been going through in this ridiculous, you know, cage that she's been forced to to live upon with her uh, her parents and her estate and all of you know the the drama that went on there. But you know what Taylor Swift does really really well is that she allows you in, but she doesn't give you unlimited access. She gives you understanding of why she's doing something, how you're doing something. She has built this like cult-like following, but a lot of that is through a very intimate relationship. You don't even have to be a Taylor Swift fan to know what her favorite number is. I'll give you a second if you're not familiar with it. It's 13, right? 13 is her, her favorite number, and 13 is integrated in her entire brand. And the reason that I think about this in, like, in a Taylor Swift example is that there are some celebrities, some influencers that have done this better than others. But for the most part, like I'm a huge fan of like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm a huge fan, uh, you know, not only sports, but music, right? But one could argue that my 
my intimate connection to understand what these brands or my favorite band, right? Like OAR, of a Revolution, one of my favorite bands in the world. I actually, you know, I have notifications on for them on, on multiple channels. But a lot of what they put out is still very one directional or very one to many relationship. And that's where I want to take this conversation is that I believe where intimacy can shift in a Web3 world, where we're moving, is that we have to move our messaging and our way of connecting from a one-to-many relationship to a many-to-many relationship, and in many cases, a one-to-one relationship. What I mean by that is, if, if, if anyone listened to the early episodes of this podcast, season one, I harped on that my North Star right now in this moment, the thing that I think is the most important component of Web3, the creator economy, is that basic concept of a thousand true fans, right? That essay, a thousand true fans, right? If, if we can cultivate a thousand true fans, people that, that, that believe in us, that get us, that, that we give them so much value that they want to know everything about us and that we have this, we, we are, we're growing this group together, that I truly do believe it shifts the way we all interact. Now, social media right now does not reward us because if you, even if you have a thousand true fans, you have to convince your thousand true fans to turn on the bell, Right, like how many people here are even following this podcast or subscribe to it? I bet you a lot of you that are watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcasting app, you don't even have, you haven't even hit subscribe yet, right? Because you're like, man, now it's gonna be notifications, and I might not want to listen to every episode that Brian does or whatever that may be. I hope I hope that you would hit subscribe, and I hope that you will hit, you know, pound that the the bell so you're notified um, when new content is put out. But I also understand part of that that limitation is not only the distance but it's our lack of shared ownership. And when I talk about NFTs, my belief in NFTs has nothing to do with the word NFT. I don't care if you call it digital collectible, you call it stamps. My belief in NFTs has very little to do with the the community discord component underneath it. It actually has everything to do with the idea of shared ownership because When we are in something together, where we all understand that everyone in here either has has the same kind of entry point or we all have gone through the same to be a part of something, and then once we're a part of that, we now know, we understand that we are together building this, magic can happen. Now, the first, I would say, limitation that we've had with this level, level of shared ownership is probably the biggest problem in our entire ecosystem. And it's the lack of transparency. Now remember, I always caveat this. Transparency does not guarantee trust. Transparency guarantees a window for, for people to determine if you are trustworthy. But if you are transparent and you are a piece of crap, we just determine that you're a piece of crap quicker. If you are transparent and that you are, are someone that, that all of a sudden is not doing the things that you've, you've claimed that you're, you're doing, we get to decide that quicker, right? And so, but the, the idea of transparency for most of us is a scary concept, right? Because we have to let people in. And most people kind of link it to our, like, our dirty laundry, but I don't think of it that way, right? I think of transparency in saying that 
if I've, if I have delivered for every client that I have advised, right? Like I'm advising NFT projects, right? If I have delivered for every NFT project, I would love for you to be able to see that tr transparently, those relationships, how much I was paid, how much interaction I did, what were the results that we driven in the, in the back end, right? I want you to have access to that because I don't want to have to prove myself over and over and over and over again and pitch you and say, please believe me, I'm not a scam artist and, and I am, you know, I am who I say I am. And, and truthfully, the podcast of season one would not have needed to be daily if transparency was already inherent in my community and my ecosystem. And so transparency is such a, an essential component. And transparency shines through not just in human interactions, but in our digital interactions. So one of the biggest limitations I believe on with digital intimacy has been our lack of transparency on digital interactions. One, if you're looking at the Twitter files right now, you know Elon Musk has been releasing the Twitter files, and this isn't a political discussion. This is the truth: is that most of us assumed that the different platforms had their own biases and were limiting things, but we were just assuming what was what, right? And we also know like what the Russians did with Facebook ads. Now we know with what Twitter did, even working with the government to decide which narratives they want to make sure are trending uh, on the platform. I mean, holy hell, like no wonder we don't trust social media. We don't trust people online because our, we're, we're finding out more and more, you know, like the, the Me Too movement, right? The Me Too movement didn't create this ridiculous sexual predator power trip that existed in our world. That's been around since the beginning of time. Social media exposed that. And all of a sudden, we had transparent access to realizing the Harvey Weinsteins of the world were controlling Hollywood, and it was becoming so like, normalized that it, was, it, it became too big. And, and how, did we, how did we blow it up? We blew it up through transparency and community. When people came out and started saying, I'm going to own that I also went through this, right? Me Too movement was about people saying, you're not alone. Me Too, I went through this. And part of that, that, that piece of this is that there was no transparency in how Hollywood worked. How did people get certain jobs? How did people become certain you know, actors or actresses? How did certain people get picked over other people? There was very little, if, if any, transparency in that. Now, transparency of digital interaction doesn't always mean it's good for everything, right? Because we can have digital overwhelm or big data problems, right? Where we are just, we have so much access to either people or information that it becomes too much for us to handle. So now let's circle back to where I think intimacy and NFTs come into the conversation. And really what it comes down to is that if we have a shared ownership, if people have either earned their NFT or bought their NFT into a community or into a membership group, we now understand we have a baseline of our interactions. I will tell you one of the hardest things for, for anyone that's marketing right now is that, yes, you know, we, everyone wants to market to everyone, but even more so of a problem is we struggle to market or understand exactly who our, who our people are. I, I will tell you, like right now, I couldn't tell you exactly who our listeners of this podcast are. I have data on what countries we most listen to, right? Like United States, Canada, Australia, those are, you know, and then the UK. 
Those are our, our big four. I can tell you our demographic, right? We have a, right now, I think we have a 58% male uh, demographic for the audience, 42% uh, female. But that's also, you know, depending on which apps and which people have opted into this information. But if you knew that you were a, a shared owner in this greater experience, and by you giving that information, I could better pick what brands are gonna sponsor this. I could better pick the, the projects that I'm talking about. I believe most people would opt in. The problem with it has been, when we opt in, we have to have that shared ownership. We have to believe that together we are moving that needle. And so when we look at this, and you know, I think, you know, please go back and listen to the episode I did with uh, Jordash and I did about Starbucks, because you know, Starbucks has, if not the largest, one of the largest rewards mechanisms built into their mobile app. And one would argue that that is a great way to not only drive loyalty, but it's a great way for Starbucks to understand who their customers are. But there's a difference between knowing who your customers are and creating an intimate connection with your customers, right? And that intimate connection is through this shared ownership, right? That together, not only am I rewarded for my purchases, but I'm rewarded for my, my advocacy. I'm rewarded for, for my influence. I'm rewarded for my participation. And the amount of, of time that I'm committed should actually help move that forward, right? Like, like to me, like, there, there, it's so interesting, right? I, for seven years, I was a Delta Diamonds member, right? I, I'm a diamond on Delta. Well, thanks to the pandemic, uh, that one year, I didn't fly as much, but Delta pushed it out a year. But crazy enough is that I still have to earn the exact same amount to get Diamond as someone that has never been Diamond before. Now, they do give you some bonuses that like, I accure them a little bit faster based on some, my, my most recent interaction. But for me, I don't have shared ownership in the Delta experience or the Delta movement. But I will tell you, Delta has done a, a little bit better job than most. And so when we think about this, we have to think about it from like memberships. We have to think about it from brand loyalty. We have to think about it from our connection with others. And, and this is where I will kind of bring this towards, is that for intimacy to work in a digital age, I mentioned that it needs to be a many-to-many -many relationship but it also needs to be a one-to-one -one relationship. And when most people hear that, they assume that it's from the creator to the customer, right? Or from the creator to the audience member. Where I believe true intimacy within a community exists is one-to-one -one between community members. Think about the things that the, the groups that you're most part of, right? Like I will tell you, like fraternity to me is one that I bring up a lot. But my fraternity, my relationship with my fraternity, I don't have a stronger relationship with the founder of the fraternity. I don't have a stronger relationship with the fraternity uh, chapter, like our, our, our head chapter in Vermont. I don't have a stronger relationship with the president of the fraternity when I pledged. Who are my strongest relationships with? My pledge brothers, those that I served on the council with, those that were there for me for all four years, right? My one-to-one -one relationships within the greater community of my fraternity are ultimately what created that bond, that intimacy for me to be a proud Kappa Delta Rho member, right? I am a very proud Kappa Delta Rho member, and it's, it's something to me that, that really exonifies like, all of what we're trying to build, right? Because we all want to be a part of something. 
And, and some people are going to say, well, I don't know if I do. Well, yes, you do. You, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't believe that, you know, the more people that you surround yourself that lift you up, that motivate you, that excite you, the better you're off, then you won't even be caring about this, right? And I, I know I try to talk, I try to talk one of my, my brothers into getting into NFTs and, and for him, he's kind of like, you know what? He's like, I'm tapped out, Brian. Right now, I'm at my bandwidth where I don't have any time for more people, more friendships, more community, more channels, more emails, more phone calls. He just doesn't have it, right? Like, and I, I respect that, like where he's at. And now one could argue that it's also probably means a good time to um, evaluate the things that you're involved in, right? But if we look at this like as a, as a bigger picture, right? The other part of intimacy is our ability to wear this as like a badge, wear this with pride. And I will tell you, there's nothing more intimate to me than my connection to a city that I only lived in till I was in third grade. I was born and raised until third grade in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. But I wear my Pittsburgh Penguins, Pittsburgh Pirates, Pittsburgh Steelers gear. My Jeep is black and yellow. My shoes are, are black and yellow. My business card is black and yellow. And when I see somebody in the mall, my daughters were laughing the other day. I gave six high fives out in the mall. There were six people wearing Pittsburgh Steelers gear. And they were just, here we go. And I'm like, what's up? Go Steelers. And we give high fives. That's a stranger that we are bonded over shared love and passion for a sport that the reason that my love for that sport exists is because I was born in that city. And so the, the other missing part of our digital intimacy is our ability to broadcast to the world, but probably even more importantly, broadcast and discover others that are also in that same journey. I will tell you, it's why I've launched the Shades of ADHD collection um, for my AI art and NFTs. If you identify as someone that is neurodiverse, or the, the newest term I see all over TikTok is neurospicy, which neurospicy is really uh, anyone that has multiple neurodiversity, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say branded, right? Uh, you're, 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 so I am, I am neurodiverse, I am, ADHD and I am dyslexia, right? So I have those two. So I'm neurospicy is what that re referred to. But I will tell you, for me, creating NFTs, the shades of NFT, ADHD NFTs, I want to see this across the board with all aspects of everything, right? If we can find ways that we can, we can not only feel less alone and feel heard and seen, but we can put that out there, it changes our connection with each other. I've said this on stages for forever, that I firmly believe that our vulnerabilities connect us stronger and more intimate with people than our strengths. Think about the people that are in your life today and ask yourself, are you most bonded to them because of what they do great or most bonded because you have shared life experiences? Maybe you both have gone through divorces. Maybe you both have struggled with reading and, and education. Maybe you both have a, a, children, a, a child that is, is dealing with something. Maybe you both had a parent that had cancer. Maybe you both have, have, have gone through job loss, or bo maybe both of you are parents, whatever that may be, right? Our connection with people is more often not about like what our number one thing is that we are great at, but it's about those all-encompassing things. The problem that digital has presented to us for the last 15 years was there hasn't been a great way for us to find our people. 
for me, the Shades of ADHD collection is the idea that I'm going to identify some of the, the biases, some of the stigmas around ADHD. Today, you know, for the recording of this episode, I dropped a new, uh, a new piece today uh, referred to as time blindness, right? And the, the idea is that if you, if you are someone that hates to be late, yet you also despise being early, which means almost always you are, you are in a struggle to where you're going to leave the house and you're like, you know what? It only takes me 20 minutes to get there. I have 30 minutes before I need to be there. Why don't I go empty the dishwasher? And then you go and empty the dishwasher. And as you're emptying the dishwasher, you're like, wait, I should probably put the dishes in the sink into the dishwasher. So then you put the dishes in the sink into the dishwasher. Then you realize that you hadn't organized the fridge. So you start organizing the fridge. And then you realize, I need to make a list of the things I need to make to get at the grocery store to fill the fridge. And then you look up and realize that you need to be where you're supposed to be five minutes ago. That's time blindness. It's something that many of us with ADHD or diagnosed neurodiverse have. I made that NFT because I want people to recognize that A, it is something that we struggle with. And it's something that we, we, we're, we that oftentimes, um, before I ever realized it, I just thought I, ha I was dumb and I couldn't ever, like why can I not map out things correctly? Why can't I you know, understand how much time I'm spending on things? But recognizing that my brain's a little different and my brain does not value and doesn't, you know, um, you know, and one of the tests they'll do for ADHD, just for, you know, for, to kind of wrap this in, is they will actually have someone filling a glass of water. And they'll ask you, how long do you think it'll take to fill a glass, this glass of water up to the top? And for most people that are neurodiverse or ADHD, you're either going to guess way too many seconds or not enough seconds. Because our ability to calculate that time isn't something that is innate in the way that our brains function. And so for me, that NFT, creating the AI art for it, it's as much for us to recognize that, but it's also so that we can educate others. But it's also so that we can connect with each other and be there for each other for those that are struggling with certain things. Imagine if the biases and the stigmas that exist in our world today, if we were able to not only debunk them, but to give us something to be able to help others, right? It's like paying it forward. And part of, for me, part of this intimacy online is I want people to feel seen, I want people to feel heard, and I want people to have ownership in what we are building and how we are all building it. I firmly believe NFTs built on the blockchain, leveraging transparent interactions, transparent the way that we do things are going to drastically change that intimate connection that we have, not only with brands, not only with thought leaders and influencers and celebrities, but with each other. And I think it's the, it is the vehicle to get us to that 1,000 true fans. The last thing I'll say is the medium that we deliver this on is also very dependent on the intimacy conversation. I believe audio is the most intimate medium in the world. If you are listening to this on the podcast and you're listening to me tell you the story about going out the door and then running to my, my dishwasher and unloading my dishwasher and then looking in the sink and then opening the refrigerator, I'm not telling you what that visual is you're actually picturing it in yourself. So maybe it's you're picturing me in your house running around and doing that. Maybe you're trying to picture the kitchen that I have because maybe you've seen a picture in the back of my Instagram photos or whatever it may be. That, that ability for us as listeners to audio to be able to paint the picture and visualize the story in our own way 
makes our connection more intimate than if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're watching this on YouTube and you're looking, you're, I'm telling you, you're watching the video, I as the creator am in determining what you're visualizing as I'm delivering this. When we think about that intimacy, we have to really think about these ways that how do we tell stories? How do we empower each other? How do we connect with each other? And then more so than anything else, how do we also remove some of the biases and things that exist today that are innate, that are built in without us even knowing it? I will tell you, there are people that I've shared Twitter spaces with, probably 20, 30 hours worth of Twitter spaces. I couldn't tell you their race. I couldn't tell you their ethnic background. I couldn't tell you their age. Yet I could tell you that I trust them, that I believe in what they're doing. I could tell you about their family, their friends. I could tell you what they care about, what they don't care about. And the beauty of that is, and I have to own, my, own this some, ca- some cases, is that I will sometimes like, look back at my life and say, man, I think I judged that person because of their physical appearance or because of what I, you know, what I saw, thought they, the car that they drove. And because of that, Maybe I didn't listen the same way. Maybe I didn't open my mind the same way. Maybe I wasn't as giving or as, as uh, you know, open to hearing what they had to say. When we're able to remove some of these barriers and we're able to add a layer of intimacy and a layer of authenticity, that's where the magic is happening. And it's why I love Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse Audio and I love doing the podcast. But I do believe we have to think about this as a whole and ask ourselves if... You know, when someone asks me if the PFP, right, if your profile photo, if because you don't have a picture of a person, does that make it less personal? I actually believe it gives us the opportunity to be more personal. It allows us the opportunity to connect with people in maybe ways that aren't, haven't existed in real life because of stigma or biases or, you know, what we've grown up on to believe. And to me... It's a pretty powerful movement if we're able to start finding our people and not be limited by the things and the culture and the beliefs that have been pounded into us since the beginning of time. So with that, my friends, you know, I, I, I love giving a keynote. It's called Digital Empathy. Uh, if you know of an event or an audience that would like to hear a talk on this, I give a talk that um, is about how do we become more em- empathetic online, right? How do we, how do we truly understand people uh, at a deeper level? And a lot of that is social listening. A lot of that is finding ways to not only do our own damn research, but be, but understanding, um, you know, where people are influenced and who influences them and then adding that context to what's going on. But yeah, if you're interested in that, you know, hit me up, hit us up, uh, send us a direct message. Uh, would love to, you know, get to know the events or event organizers or even if it's your business, if you're, you know, you're a part of association, I would love to come speak um, at your association or your brand or at your an event uh, and give a talk because I, I do believe that uh, we can all agree that the world needs more empathy and I believe a giant vehicle for that empathy is the intimacy that NFTs are going to enable and create And we are just getting started, my friends. So until tomorrow, you can now turn down the volume of the podcast. You can step away, hopefully, from your speakers. And I hope you are as excited, as inspired, and motivated as I am to take on the year of the GOAT, or they're calling it the Jordan year, right? It's 2023, Michael Jordan. 
I think that's a cool idea. I like the idea that it's the it's the goat year. It's the greatest basketball player of all time. It's the Jordan year, right? And the beauty of of Jordan and the beauty of you know the brand that he represents in Nike is they have a pretty easy slogan: "Just do it." Let's make 2023 the year that we just do it. Let's be the vehicles of intimacy and uh, and empathy. Let's understand the importance of connecting with each other, supporting each other, and finding more ways to connect. Until tomorrow, my friends, or until the next episode, make it a great day. Cheers. Thank you for listening to NFT 365. If you found this helpful, let us know by leaving a review. Like, subscribe, share, and do all of those good things. Join our email list to keep up with all things NFT 365. We appreciate you spending a little of your time with us. And as always, this show is not financial advice.